Hi, welcome to the Tax Chick Podcast. I am your host, Amanda Doucette, a self-proclaimed foodie, spin class, and Pilates enthusiast, and a tax lawyer. I fell into the practice of tax law despite having a lifelong hatred of spreadsheets, math, and numbers in general. Tax is complex, but it does not always have to be so complicated and shrouded in mystery. Join me and my guests as we unpack some serious tax topics and attempt to demystify the world of tax. Welcome, everyone. I am really excited to introduce to you my guest today, Jared. And Jared is with Roth Hericu Fittick LLP and Red Deer. He is a chartered professional accountant and a certified general accountant. And he's also a Step Canada associate member, and he's hoping to complete the TEP program in spring 2021. He has a number of areas of focus in his practice, and one of them is working with new business startups to help them get off to a strong start, including decisions surrounding incorporation, software selection, and other key areas. And he's also big into using technical skills. So he continues his education through, for example, Step Canada in areas of business succession, estate planning, and other high-level planning. And he wants to help clients retain the value they've accumulated in their business to allow them to transfer that and have an enjoyable retirement. When Jared is not in the office, he enjoys spending time with his son, wife, extended family, and friends. He enjoys the gym, watching football, and he told me he is missing the CFL right now. He enjoys golfing and barbecuing, and also enjoys volunteering within his community at the Mustard Seed and through his church, Crossroads Red Deer. I will put all the information on how to connect with Jared in the show notes. So welcome, Jared. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you very much for having me, Amanda. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. As I started to read out your bio and then started to read the name of the, of your firm, I realized I had not had a discussion with you about how to pronounce the name of your firm. So how bad did I do? Not bad. Um, <laughs> it is do you a, want to fix it? It is a tricky one. <laughs> I have my way of saying it. I'm not sure if it's perfect either. So Roth Hirokio Fittick LLP. Ah, okay. I was I was definitely off. I appreciate that. I I should have asked you that before I dove in. <laughs> no, you did, did, did not that at all. It is a, a bit of a mouthful for sure. Well, I mean, Jared, I'm really glad to have you on the show today. And and you and I have never met in person. Um, and I think this morning was actually our first conversation, actual like verbal conversation. Uh, but we met kind of through LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, I guess over the past little bit, it's it's been uh, time to kind of pivot a little bit from the usual conferences and stuff like that. And I'd be kind of focusing on, you know, meeting people through LinkedIn and stuff like that. And, and I'm glad it kind of turned out that we can uh, work on this podcast together. Well, and you caught my attention because you were doing uh, Weird Law Wednesdays on LinkedIn, which... If anyone's not following Jared, you really need to because it's it's really humorous. <laughs> and it, it's that nice little piece of information that's also funny but also useful that I can get every Wednesday. And I really enjoyed that. Um, so it was uh, it was something that that kind of made me think, I got to reach out to Jared. I think he'd be fun to have on the podcast. Yeah, I definitely appreciate that. I got the the inspiration, like I said, from your your tax tips ones on Tuesday, and it, it's just been kind of fun to dig into something that, you know, 
touches on what I do at the firm, but also uh, kind of has some uh, humor to it as well. So I think we can all use I, a little at uh, these days. So <laughs> We can all use a little bit of humor. Well, I kind of gave you a bit of a warning because I always ask my guests the same two questions. And and it, it's almost starting to become more of a personal thing for me that it's helping me to learn all the new podcasts I need to listen to. So I'm going to ask you the questions as well. Um, and the first question is, you know, what are the last podcasts that you've listened to? So I guess until recently, I hadn't really done podcasts at all. I don't know if I just didn't have the time or what it was, but I guess, uh, like most things, I found a little extra time to do different things in the past couple of months. So I found a few on Spotify that I've kind of dug into lately. Uh, first one is being the Thrive Time Show. It's a, a small business podcast out of the States. And they've got a, a wide variety of different guests. Um, it's been kind of nice to do some of their marketing ones and stuff like that. A couple other ones that I've listened to here recently, uh, Muscle for Life with Mike Matthews, just kind of has some dietary, um, you know, gym habit things that's been kind of kind of fun to dig into. And the other one that I've uh, started listening to is Idleman Unplugged. Uh, it's a pastor out of uh, California. And he's just had a lot of good messages for, you know, kind of the things that are going on these, these days with the pandemic and COVID and stuff like that. Awesome. I Those are some interesting ones. Everyone that I've talked to has come up with ones that I haven't heard of yet. Um, and I did. You had told me about the Thrive Time show um, in advance. And so I did go on and start listening to some of it. And it's a very interesting podcast. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And I'll put the info in the show notes in case anyone else is, is interested. Is is Spotify kind of your your listening of choice, like your listening app of choice? or? I guess it's kind of probably you find a couple on Spotify and then you find a couple on another one. Um, I use Podbean for a couple as well. I guess it kind of just depends. Spotify seems to be the go-to, I guess. So. I've I've been finding that for myself as well, and I, I can't really tell you why it is, but it seems to be. And then somebody messaged me the other day and asked if I if my podcast was on Pocket Cast, and I was like, what's Pocket Cast? So then I, I researched it, realized it wasn't, and then submitted it there, and it's got a whole bunch of interesting podcasts. And it seems like a lot of um, the professionals on LinkedIn that are doing podcasts are putting them on Podbean or Pocket Cast. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you know I'm just learning every day about all these new options. <laughs> there are a lot of options. It gets to be a bit confusing sometimes. <laughs> well, the the other question I I'd kind of wondered about is is do you use emojis when you text? And if so, what is the one you use most often? I went and had a little scroll through my text to see what I kind of use, and I guess as a male in his mid thirties, I don't use a ton <laughs> of them. That's what I was thinking. You're probably not using the red hearts a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I do put out the red hearts when I'm chatting with my wife. That would probably be my go-to there. And then I guess with other people, you know, you get the, the eye rolls, the confused face. I think that's been pretty uh, predominant here in the last six months. So I think those would be my go-tos. Those are good ones. Those are good ones. <laughs> 
Um, well, one of the common questions that I think you and I find ourselves responding to from clients quite often, in particular in the last couple of months, is how do they know what business structure they need? How do they know when they need to change their structure? And I think for new business owners, there's always this temptation to jump into incorporation. And as you and I know, that may not always be the best way to go. And and you and I have had some conversations about how sometimes we we have to say the same thing over and over again. And, and we really want to make sure that people are getting some good advice at the front end about what to do, because it's a lot easier to start things properly than to have to unwind something uh, to simplify your life. So today, our plan of attack is we're going to try to cover three different topics. And so one of the topics is going to be, well, what are the options for business structures? And then the second topic being, how do you identify when it's time to incorporate? And the third topic being, how do you unwind the corporate structure once you put it in place? So I'm excited. Maybe that makes me a little weird, but I think these are great topics for today. I'm excited too. So, oh, thanks, Jared. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, diving right into topic one um, different options for business structures. Um, so, maybe we can take a few moments to kind of identify what some of the options are and maybe talk a little bit about, I guess, how what the tax consequences are in terms of, of how income and revenue is reported in these different types of structures. Oh, that works for me. So, I mean, when I kind of think of big picture structures, I think of sole proprietorship, I think of incorporation, I think of partnerships, I think of joint ventures. Did I miss any? Eh, that's what I got listed here. So that's, I think that's we're your list to too. Okay. All right. Well, at least we're on the same page. So when we think <laughs> about when we think about sole proprietorship, um, I mean, maybe if you can give a little summary of sort of what that is and how you would be reporting uh, your income each year if you were in a sole proprietorship. Yeah, for sure. So the sole proprietorship is kind of the most informal way of starting a business and kind of as a result tends to be the most common structure that you see out there for, you know, newer businesses. Um, in regards to... Uh, reporting income and tax treatment the sole proprietorship and yourself are just treated as one for tax purposes so every year that income is being reported on your personal tax return and then just taxed at whatever applicable rate the uh, net income ends up putting you in so with that it kind of gives you uh, a bit of flexibility early on if you're incurring some losses, you know, you can apply those against, you know, other employment income and stuff like that. Um, that's kind of the gist of where we would go. I, I agree. And, and it definitely is the most informal and almost the simplest structure and, and sometimes an easier way to start because there's less new information that you need to digest and, and start implementing. However, one of the things that I find sometimes happens is that because everyone's thinking, well, you know, it all goes on the same tax return, I'll just use the same bank account or I'll just kind of flow everything through with my personal stuff. There is still sort of a suggestion that 
you want to still note that you are receiving this business income from your business. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to open up a separate bank account and to track your expenses into your revenues in that separate bank account. Also, to be able to figure out at the end of the year whether you made any money um, and not have that mixed in with your grocery bills and your your Shaw Cable bill and those kind of things, but also to help your your bookkeeper and your accountant at the end of the year uh, be able to properly record things. So definitely the easiest because it doesn't require creating something new. You're not going to see a lawyer to create a new company. You're not really having to worry about moving money out of one entity into another, and you're not worried about paying someone to do an extra tax return, uh, which is an an extra expense in that initial time period that you may not be ready for. So sole proprietorship is kind of a nice, easy way to start things off. Yeah, I would definitely agree. I mean, for a lot of people, you know, when you're starting out, I think keeping things simple is, is probably the best way to do it. You know, like you said, splitting things out, having a separate bank account. I think that's important because You know, at the same point in time, you are running a business and you need to track that and figure out if you are on the road to success. But, you know, adding all these complexities early on, you know, for a lot of people, it it may not be worth it and might be detrimental to to the future health of the business, too. So. And, and one of the great things about sole proprietorship, maybe not the great thing because I'm presuming that the business might be not successful, but if your business is not successful and you need to unwind it, there's not much that you have to do um, because you you haven't really created anything new. So other than you know closing a bank account and, and cleaning that out on whatever tax return you finished receiving your revenues from, there's there's not a lot that needs to happen to stop what you've started. And so it's kind of the nice way to dip your toe uh, into the business world without going so far that you have to really start hiring professionals to unwind what you've created. And I guess from a legal perspective, um, keep in mind that even if you don't have a corporation, you can still register the use of a business name, and it's usually recommended that you do, at the provincial registry office um, to allow you to operate under a certain business name, and you as a person can own that name. And if at a later date you decide to incorporate, you can just transfer the ownership to the corporation. You can also still go forward and try to get a trademark uh, with respect to a business name under your personal name. So those types of things do not require corporate ownership, which is something that I find a lot of clients don't don't realize. And so if that's the only reason why you're, you're moving to a more complicated structure, don't do it because you can still accomplish those things under your own personal name. So that's sole proprietorships. Maybe we should move into incorporation. So maybe, Jared, if you can give a little summary of sort of what it means to incorporate and and how how you deal with uh, revenue and expenses on a corporate scale. Yeah, for sure. So with the, uh, you know, taking the route of incorporation, typically you would do so, uh, you know, underneath your uh, provincial laws. Occasionally, we have clients come in that are, are incorporated under uh, federal laws, depending on you know what they're needing to operate on a, a bigger scale or export and stuff like that. So there are options for federal incorporation as well. Uh, the major difference between the sole proprietorship and incorporation is the fact that you know the corporation does set up that separate entity and. You know, with that in mind, then you 
you really need to kind of grasp that and realize that, you know, funds and assets and liabilities that are in the corporation are, are not yours personally. And you kind of have to treat them separately. Otherwise you can run yourself into, into some issues down the road with that. So once you have the, uh, the corporation set up, as you kind of mentioned before, it, it does require you to you know, file that separate corporate tax return. It does require you to file an annual return with the province each year. So there is an, you know, an added in administrative costs and burdens associated with uh, incorporating as well. But you know, it, it does provide some some benefits as well, depending on, you know how you uh, are carrying on the operation, what your, your personal needs are. So you kind of have to uh, look at uh, you know, where you're going and, and what your needs are to see which one is going to be most beneficial for you early on, for sure. That's a, that's a great summary, Jared. And I think that if someone is thinking of incorporating, and, and we'll certainly talk about the pros and the cons and how you identify that coming up soon, but it's just so important to realize that that corporation is a separate entity from you and you almost have to treat it as though, you know, it's your friend's bank account or somebody else's bank account and you wouldn't just go and take stuff from that account without making sure you've gotten the necessary permissions. And so if you've if you've created a corporation and if the income is going into that corporation, there are only certain ways that you can take income out of that corporation. And you can take it out as a salary if you're employed by the corporation and there are certain requirements for how to justify your salary and certain reporting requirements. So that's when if you become an employer as an incorporator, you're now going to have to do source deductions and issue a T4 at the end of the year and, and those sorts of things. You can take money out as a dividend and dividends can be paid only to shareholders of a corporation. You could take money out as a bonus. You could take money out as a management fee or a consulting fee. But you need to work with your advisors each year to determine how am I going to take this money out and how is it going to be categorized and making sure you have the appropriate documentation in place to justify that payment, which is a little different from when all the money is just yours. Uh, there's less documentation that is involved for sure. So when you're incorporating, you just have to keep that in mind. Um, it's a little bit, little bit trickier, but there can be some definite benefits. Uh, then the third type of, of structure maybe we can move to is, is partnerships. And so maybe, Jared, if you can give a little rundown. You're doing so good with your summaries. I, <laughs> I, I feel like I should be writing this down. So, <laughs> so Jared's going to keep going. The notes. I can pass you my notes. <laughs> <laughs> he's doing way better than I would on this. So if we talk about partnerships, I guess if you can give a little summary of, well, what is a partnership and how is a partnership taxed? For sure. So I, I guess out of our firm, we see a lot of partnerships in the, the farming, the ag sector. So for that, you know, majority of the times, the partnership is just made up of a couple proprietors. So again, there's no formal legal structure, but, you know, for the most part, you know, partnerships, say for an accounting firm or something like that, have, that nature would have some sort of agreement in place that would kind of determine the split of revenues and expenses 
um, the allocations of tasks and other responsibilities for a lot of the ag clients. So it's, you know, a little more informal. There might be something set up between, you know, a couple partners that are outside of a family group. But for the most part, I would say within the family, it's just kind of a, an unspoken agreement that they uh, show up and, and get the work done and then split the the income and the expenses uh, in whatever manner they kind of determine is applicable for them. So similar to the proprietorship, um, you're going to be reporting the income on your personal tax return in most cases. Um, losses again from that partnership can be applied against your other personal uh, income on your tax return. And you know, much like the uh, sole proprietorship where you kind of have that similar uh, entity and the, uh, the openness to liability, it's kind of a, a similar thing for, uh, for partnerships in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's a great summary. And I think it's important to sort of recognize that partnerships can be between individuals. They can be between corporations. You can have a partnership of partnerships. <laughs> There's quite a bit of a bit of flexibility. And, and you're right. Oftentimes, our clients are in a partnership arrangement. And there really isn't any, any documentation in place. But that's how they're filing their tax returns. They're showing that they're receiving income from a partnership. And so what we'll often do is, is say to our clients, you know, if this is a formal partnership, it might not hurt to put something in writing, just setting out who's doing what, what your percentage of ownership is, and how you're going to be sharing income and losses from the partnership, just so everyone's on the same page. But it, it is also a very flexible way of, of dealing with, with business revenue because, again, it's the same sort of flow through taxable entity and that it, it's very much like the sole proprietorship as everything just flows through to the individual partner or the corporate partner and it's reported on that tax return. So our last type of business structure, or at least the last one you and I can think of today, is, <laughs> is joint ventures. And I find I get a lot of questions about, well, how is a joint venture different from a partnership? And so maybe we can talk a bit about what a joint venture is and then how it is taxed. For sure. Um, so a joint venture is kind of a collection of members. Again, could be sole proprietors, could be corporations. And they come together to kind of team up for a, a particular purpose or a project. So, you know, with that being said, each member retains ownership of their property. And as a member of that joint venture, you will uh, end up receiving a share of the profits from that project which will be taxed according to you know, whatever business structure you have set up. Um, tax advantages you know, typically include the ability to choose uh, your CCA claim, whereas partnerships, you're, you're deducting that CPA based on the partnership rules. So I guess for the most part, joint ventures are, are a little more specific to a certain short-term goal, whereas a partnership is more, you know, open-ended and kind of driven by a, an overlying business goal to operate for an extended period of time. So I guess that would be kind of the, the major difference that I would see there um, as far as di uh, joint ventures. 
you know, they can be a little bit vague sometimes. You can get, kind of get some flexibility issues. And, you know, from, from the past, I've seen there's been some issues with certain members, maybe not necessarily pulling their weight or not putting in the right amount of, you know, financing versus another member. So, you know, kind of like you said, having a partnership agreement or something formal in writing, I think it's it's equally important to uh, kind of have that set up for a joint venture if you're looking to take on a project with uh, with another person or another corporation. So. That was that was a great summary, and, and there's a couple things I'd I'd like to sort of unpack from from those comments. And so, um, one of them is is you did say a short form. You said CCA. So just in case we have people that are listening to this that are going, what is CCA? <laughs> Maybe we should just give everybody a little rundown on that um, before we move further. Sure. So CCA would be capital cost allowance. So I guess typical way that I explain it to clients is your amortization or your depreciation, whatever word may, you may have grown up hearing. Um, it's basically just the government's system for accounting for the use of your capital assets over the lifetime of their useful value. That's a that's actually one of the best uh, uh, sort of summaries I've ever heard of CCA. I think that would have helped me like ten years ago when <laughs> I was trying to learn that myself. So I mean, people think about you know your buildings or your equipment or your machinery, those types of things, and and how much you're able to either write off or depreciate each year. That's the that's the CCA that we're talking about. So thank you very much, Jared. So that was one thing I wanted to unpack. The other thing is in terms of sort of joint ventures versus partnerships. I went to a presentation by CTF or Canadian Tax Foundation a number of years ago, and and the way that they had described the difference between the two is that partnerships are governed by legislation. And so in each of our provinces, we have a partnership act of some sort, which sets out certain rules for partnerships. And so if you have a partnership agreement that says certain things about how your partnership is going to operate, that can, for the most part, override legislation. But then if you don't have something in your partnership agreement, or if there is no agreement in place, there's like backup legislation um, that you can rely upon. But no such thing exists for joint ventures. And so joint ventures are sort of contractual creatures in that you, as you said, Jared, they're almost for more short-term purposes. So we see a lot of real estate companies do this where if they're building a new project, they'll create a joint venture for that project to be able to track the revenue and expenses in connection with the project. And once the project is done, they basically fold up the joint venture and start again. And joint ventures can be a bit like group work in school, where if if not everybody pulls their weight, <laughs> it can get ugly. So I, I always suggest a joint venture agreement, and not just because I'm a lawyer and I could make money off of that. I just think it's a it's just a prudent thing if everyone sits down and comes up with the plan of attack, who is putting what stuff into the joint venture, who is expected to do what, and how are they going to share. Um, the revenues uh, and expenses from the joint venture? And then how do they know when it's time to wind it up? So very important to have that in writing. And then as you were talking, Jared, I started thinking about another type of business arrangement, and that is the cost-sharing arrangement. And I'm not sure if you guys are seeing that a lot um, right now in Alberta. We're seeing it a lot more in Saskatchewan. 
um, with some of the professional groups, some of the dentists and doctors that are that all have their own corporation, but just have an agreement for how they're going to share costs in their space in terms of their lease, their overhead costs, their their salaries for their employees, that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I would say I, I've seen a few, kind of like you say, uh, in doctors' offices. I guess it's kind of hit or miss depending on, you know, who's in there and, and what the situation is. But, you know, I, I think that's it's been a, a good way for certain uh, you know, groups of uh, professionals to kind of lay out, uh, you know, a bit of a, a structure and kind of keep things, um, I guess, regulated and, and uh, put some structure into that uh to that plan going forward. So yeah, it, it crops up a little bit, but not, not a ton. I, I agree. I think the, the other ones we identify are really our, our big four for business structures. So hopefully that gives people a bit of an idea of some of the options that are available. And then in a very base level, the tax consequences or the tax treatment of those different, different options. So this maybe is a good segue into topic number two, uh, which is how does somebody identify when it's time to incorporate. So, I mean, Jared, if you have someone come into your office and they're all, you know, excited about incorporation, what what is typically what you're telling them in terms of the markers or the indicators that would suggest incorporation is appropriate? I guess probably, you know, a lot of practitioners would probably have different opinions on it. I, I guess for me, you know, you need to be generating, you know, a significant enough funds to be able to, you know, one, justify the extra administrative costs. So I, I kind of look at a, a benchmark of at least $100,000 in revenue before you start entertaining the idea of incorporation. I, I guess from my perspective, if you're earning less than that, and then you got to take all the, you know, applicable expenses off of that, you know, you're probably not left with a, a ton of leftover uh, income. So for me, you know, the benefits of incorporation comes when you can start leaving some of that money within the corporation to be taxed at the, the small business rates as opposed to, you know, a higher marginal personal tax rate. So that's kind of my benchmark, I guess, where I start the discussion with clients. There's a, a number of other things that I would you know, look at as well. Is there any concerns with liability? You know, for that reason, it might be beneficial to, to incorporate early on, even though, you know, you might not have those particular revenue targets initially. So I, I guess it kind of just depends on the client, the specific situation and and what they kind of have uh, for goals on the uh, the short term. That that's so interesting, Jared. When you said sort of the hundred thousand dollar sort of um, threshold, because that's typically what I've used as well. And I have no idea if I learned that from someone. I think it's just the <laughs> that just seems to be what works. Hey, and it does, <laughs> but it's it funny. Does. Because <laughs> I'll have a client say, "Well, what's the magic in a hundred thousand? It's like, well, there's not really magic in it. It just seems to be that works. 
And and I mean, maybe to take a bit of a step back, I this might be an appropriate time to discuss the concept of tax integration, which, you know, I apologize if people are listening to this and starting to roll their eyes because this is supposed to be a, a, you know, a fun, accessible podcast. But integration, I think, is an interesting concept. And sort of the idea of the, the federal government in administering the Income Tax Act is aiming for what they call integration. And the idea is if you earned a dollar personally, they would like you to pay the same amount of tax as you would pay if you earned the dollar in the corporation and then paid it out to yourself. And depending on, you know, the rates in any given year, sometimes we're more perfectly integrated than others. And it also depends on which province that you're in, because you have to keep in mind that, of course, we're always paying a provincial tax and you're paying the federal tax. And so, depending on the year, it might be better or worse to be in a particular province for integration. And so this is partly why when when Jared was talking about, well, if you're going to incorporate, it's, it's nice if you can know that you're going to be able to leave some money in the corporation, because that's really where you get some of your tax deferral is the idea that, well, you're paying a lower rate in the corporation. And if you haven't yet pulled it out, then you're definitely paying less tax. Because if you earn it all in your personal pocket, there's nowhere to hide it. Like it's there and you have to be taxed on it immediately. And so that is sometimes one of the, one of the perks of incorporation. And I always like to say it's tax deferral. It's not, it's not necessarily, you know, a tax savings because the idea is you will eventually pay the piper. You will eventually have to pay tax on that sum of money. But while it's sitting there, you get a little bit of a lower tax rate, which is, which is kind of cool. And uh, so, of course, that's that's sort of interesting because you have to think about when you're pulling something out of a company, not only is that money being taxed in the corporation, but then you're receiving it personally and now you're paying tax on it at whatever rate um, is applicable depending on how you receive the funds. So something to kind of keep in the back of your brain. I, I definitely think that if you're thinking about incorporation, you you should go and see someone like Jared, um, or if you already have a, a tax advisor in your in your area, go and see your lawyer, go and see your accountant. Um, if you don't have one, get referrals from a friend to find out who would be good in your area, and just take an hour and sit down with them because there are so many there are so many factors, Jared, like you had said that are over and above what we can talk about today that go into helping you make that decision. And a lot of people try to save some money on the front end and just go and incorporate themselves. But oftentimes that's going to cost them more on the back end because they'll either incorporate with an incorrect share structure or they won't put foundational legal documents in place or they won't have consulted with an accountant to make sure that their business number is activated for GST or payroll if it needs to be. And so having that initial consultation is is so important. I'm guessing you probably do a lot of those, Jared. Yeah, for sure. And I would say, you know, over the last you know number of months here, you know, people kind of pivoting out of, you know, one job or one role and, and looking into starting up a new business, you know, you, you kind of have these discussions on a, a regular basis with people. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's very important to, you know, address some of these things early on and, and make sure that the client is, you know, on the right footing, you know, like you said, getting that GST account set up if need be, you know, understanding how payroll works. You know, there's there's a number of things that, you know, you can spend a little bit of time early on to, to get a good grasp of, you know, even setting up your 
your bookkeeping software in a way that's it's going to work for you, you know, going forward as well. Putting these structures in place and having the the knowledge behind some of them is is going to save you a lot of headaches down the road. And you know, with so much competition and so much uncertainty out there, I, I think it's really important to uh, to get yourself off on the right foot and and give yourself the best shot at success for sure. Absolutely, and and I also think sometimes that even once you've created the structure. I sometimes call them like small business tune-ups or however you want to, you want to think about it, but I'll often have clients come in, you know, two, three years down the road and they just want to spend an hour and say, okay, I'm now thinking of expanding into this province. What do I need to do? And, or I'm thinking of adding a new employee or I'm leasing out the building that I own. And we kind of start to make a list of, okay, what do you need? Um, do you need another structure? Do you need to you know, hire a bookkeeper? Do you need new legal contracts? And I think sometimes when you're running a business, it's so hard to take the time to do those things because you're so busy just trying to run your business. So don't hesitate to sort of call up your advisor and say, hey, can I just come in for like 45 minutes and we can run through all the current issues I've got and you can tell me whether I need to deal with any of those. And I think it's important to stay on top of them because it's so much easier for us to help if we know about these things sort of before they happen than after they've happened. So that's kind of a good way to move into our third topic, which is how do we unwind a corporate structure? So, I mean, Jared, you and I have had had people come in uh, where all of a sudden they've had this corporation and then they say, hmm, I, I think that I don't need it anymore. So what do we do? Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you said, a lot of times people you know, come in a couple of years after the fact, you haven't seen them for a while and you know, maybe they just kind of stopped using the corporation for whatever reason. Maybe they took a job and, you know, they're employed somewhere now. So they figure, you know, it's it's no longer necessary to you know, file tax returns, file annual returns. You know, after a while of not filing those annual returns with the province, the corporation's probably struck from the record now. So... If you're not taking care of some of these things and, and closing them out, you know, in the correct manner, the process of kind of having to go back in and, you know, possibly revive the corporation, file a number of uh, returns that are you know, now in arrears, it can be a, a real headache and, and cost a, a lot of additional money for sure. That That's a really good point, Jared, because you've identified two things that have to happen when you're unwinding a corporation. And one of them is on sort of the legal side in terms of the the registry filing with corporate registry of your province. And then the other side is the tax filing side. And what I see happen so often is that, you know, people fix the corporate registry side, but forget to do the tax filing side. And that creates a whole host of issues. So, I mean, if you do have a corporation, each year you're required to let the provincial government or the federal government, depending on how you're incorporated, know that your company is still active, it's still operating and, and providing some information, usually called an annual return. 
Some provinces require that. Some provinces do not. Um, if you're in a province that requires that and you fail to do it, uh, what can happen is that your company can be what they call struck from the corporate registry. And all that means is that they're assuming your company is not active anymore. And, and, and before you can continue to operate under that company name, you have to give CPR to your company and revive it. Um, and there's a, a formal process of reviving your company making it live again, and then we can continue forward. So a lot of people think, well, just stop filing annual returns and that'll fix the problem. And <laughs> that does not fix the problem <laughs> completely. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so, what you'll want to do is, is work with your advisors to make sure that both the tax side and the legal side happen kind of contemporaneously. And you'll actually want to, to file a document with the corporate registry, um, typically called Articles of Dissolution, which means you're dissolving, you're, you're getting rid of your corporation. And you don't want to do that until you know that all of your tax filings are done. Because if you're entitled to a refund, for example, um, from the government, and you've dissolved your corporation, there's now no one that's a legal entity for the government to issue a check for. And so what we'll sometimes see is we'll see that clients will wind up their company first, they'll file a tax return, they'll get their refund back, they'll deposit it, then they'll dissolve their company. And as part of that, their tax advisor will file what we call the final return. And there is actually a little box to tick off on the tax return that says, this is the end, this is the final return. <laughs> and if you don't tick that box off, Canada Revenue Agency will assume that you're supposed to keep filing. And if you don't keep filing, eventually they will just assess on your behalf and you'll be dealing with a bit of a mess years down the road. So uh, very important to make sure that, that those two things are completed so that you don't have surprises later on. So those were our, our three topics today, Jared. We were very efficient in our discussion. I'm really proud of us. Yeah, it, it went fairly smoothly for uh, my first shot at a podcast, so... Hopefully I, I'm you impressed. can work some editing magic and uh, <laughs> clean it all up. But yeah, no, right well. Well, is there any other sort of last minute advice or thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners in terms of this concept of business structures? I, I guess it's kind of the, the overriding thing I, I tell a lot of clients in respect to you know a lot of discussions that we have is, you know, take the time to, you know, farm out some of these, you know, discussions and these decisions to, you know, an accountant or a lawyer in a similar way that you, you know, might hire a, you know, marketing agency to deal with your advertising. I think it's, it's best to, you know, focus your efforts in the business, in the areas that generate revenue for you. And then, leave some of these other areas to to people that are trained there and, and just let them take care of those. Because I, I think, you know, a little bit of time and a little bit of, you know, expense up front is, is usually a, a lot cheaper than uh, kind of having to fix things after the fact. So I think just kind of keeping that in mind is, is typically uh, the best way to proceed when making any business decision for sure. So... That is, that's great advice, Jared. And I, I really do appreciate you coming on to the podcast today. I think this is a, a very important topic and I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you about it. So thank you so much. For sure. Thank you very much for having me on, Amanda. Appreciate it. 
Well, that is all we have time for today. I hope we gave you some food for thought or at least made you smile. Please see the show notes for any resource material that we reference throughout the episode and to find out more about our amazing guest today. Thank you so much for listening. And if you are interested in reading or learning more, I invite you to subscribe to my weekly blog, The Tax Chick Blog. If you have an idea for a future episode or a burning question you would like to see discussed, please send me an email at thetaxchickpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy this podcast, then please leave a review on iTunes and click subscribe to be notified when new episodes are posted. Please note that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast episode belong solely to the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the speaker's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. In addition, the information provided and discussed in this podcast is not legal advice. We encourage you to consult with your legal advisor for specific advice.